Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. I believe that prayer works sometimes. Amen. I believe that prayer works sometimes. Isn't that the reality of what we feel? I pray this prayer and God provides a miracle, but then I pray the exact same prayer in this situation and the healing doesn't come. The finances don't come. The miracle doesn't arrive like I want. And it feels like we're in the roulette wheel of faith. It's like I'm praying the same kind of prayers to the same God, but sometimes they work like I want and sometimes they don't work. And in fact, when I look at the scriptures, I see a shocking reality and it's we're not alone in this feeling. In fact, there's a prayer that Jesus, the son of God, prayed and his prayer was not answered. Isn't that wild to think that Jesus had a prayer that wasn't answered? Let's read it in John 17. In verse 20, I am praying, this is Jesus praying, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they will be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Well, 2,000 years after Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17 and over 40,000 Christian denominations later, how's that prayer working for you, Jesus? It doesn't look like it's being answered. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King, he once said in a sermon that Sunday mornings are probably the most segregated hour in America. And so Jesus prays for us to be unified, but the fact is we're not unified in the church. And some of you might disagree with me on that point. And actually, you're proving my point when you disagree with me. Somebody preached that. And so I wrote it like this, and this is a message of comfort today. If you've ever wrestled with these feelings of inconsistency when it comes to answered prayers. And so let me read it like this. When Jesus prayed for unity in the church, was he praying God's will? Yes. Was Jesus praying with faith? Yes. Was Jesus praying with sin? No. Did Jesus see this prayer bring unity to all those who would believe? Well, 40,000 Christian denominations later, no, or at least not yet. Just like us, Jesus is waiting for prayers to be answered. Prayer works sometimes. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament letters in Acts 19. This is how The scriptures describe Paul. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had been merely touched 
His skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. So you have this supernatural power to heal people in random ways. But then Paul writes, as he writes his ministry experience down in letter form, he writes in 2 Timothy 4.20, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Tremiphus sick in Miletus. So he has the power to heal, but then when his friend is sick, he leaves him and doesn't heal him. You have this power. Why won't you use it on Tremiphus? We all have a Tremiphus, don't we? 1 Timothy 5.23, this is him talking to his mentee, uh, a pastor in training named Timothy. He's training him, and you think if he was going to pray for anybody to be healed, it would be someone he's training in ministry and prayer life and supernatural ministry. And this is the advice Paul gives his mentee, Timothy. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Paul has the power to heal, but he leaves his friend sick. Paul has the power to heal his mentee, but instead of praying for his supernatural healing, he says, bro, get a Merlot. <laughs> and all the people who aren't sure what they think about alcohol said, amen. <laughs> and this is the reality of what we see in the scripture. If you are Christian long enough, you're going to have to wrestle with the inconsistency of prayer. You'll find yourself asking, what's the deal when God doesn't heal, when he heals other people? I remember when I first became a Christian, I read the scripture that all things are possible for those who believe. You'll cast out demons, you'll lay hands on the sick, and you'll experience more miracles than Jesus. Have you heard those kind of scriptures and messages? And so as a young Christian, I believed it. And I remember I had warts all over my feet. And I pray, Lord, all things are possible for those who believe. Would you heal my warts? And the next day, the warts fell off. And I was like, God heals. And then I went to another church service and the pastor said, hey, come to the altar. Come to the front if you want to experience healing. And I said, wow, God has healed me in the past. He's going to heal me again. And I had been wearing eyeglasses and contacts since the second grade. And I was like, I want my sight to be healed. So I ran to the altar and I said, Lord, I'm laying my contacts at your feet. Would you heal me? And then I left the church service without glasses, without contacts, and I got in my car and I said, I will drive by faith, not by sight. And so I drove my car, trusting the Lord, no doubt in my heart. And long story short, I totaled that car a year later. And so what happened? Did I only have faith to heal warts, but not my eyesight? What's the deal when God heals some, but not all? Have you ever wrestled with those kind of prayers? And so I feel like, wow, sometimes prayer works. And that's funny when it comes to warts and things like that. But in, when it comes to dealing with the death of a loved one, when it comes to all these job losses that are happening all around us, when it comes to our, our marriages and our kids and our families, and we see this inconsistency, it's devastating. God, where are you? God, what are you doing why won't you respond to my prayers like you used to? And so this is a, a message that is probably going to be painful for a lot of us. It's a message that's painful for me, but how, how do you respond when you don't get your way with the Lord? 
I mean, that's a question. If you live your faith long enough, you're going to have to answer. How do you respond when you don't get your way with the Lord? When you, you find yourself trusting the Lord, you give, you give to the legacy offering at Kalos Church, but then the next month you get, your, you get laid off. You're like, God, what are you doing? When you're try to, trying to be a godly mom and dad, but things aren't working out like you wanted to, you want to raise a child in the faith, and you're like, God, I would give this child to you. I would raise this child in the ways of the Lord. Why won't you make this work out like I want? But then you see someone else dealing with an unwanted pregnancy. You're like, Lord, why is this so inconsistent? What's happening? When you're facing sickness after sickness, when you're experiencing the death of a person who only brought good into the world, and you're like, why do they have to die when people who don't even love you, have you they just have these seemingly happy lives? What's happening? When you're trying to get married, but it feels like everybody else is moving forward without you. When you've been dealing with a depression for decades, and you're trying to figure out how can the joy of the Lord be my strength. I mean, just being real, this is a vulnerable community who right now is waiting on God for a miracle. You're waiting on God for a miracle. And I know how painful that can be. I know how excruciatingly painful that can be, but also how numbing it is at the same time. I am someone who right now is crushed by the weight of waiting. And I think there are many people in this room who understand. And so what, what do we do when we're, we're not getting our way with the Lord? Do we get offended and leave him? Do we compartmentalize our faith? We say, I can pray for these areas of my life, but not these areas of my life. Do you simply get angry at God and lose your trust in him? I know many of us have talked about dealing with church hurt, but I'm sure that there are people in this room right now who are dealing with God hurt. You're offended with God. Do you just assume that God is angry with you and your sin, so that's why things aren't working out? I mean, it's so difficult. Many of you know our, our story. For years, Amritha and I have been praying that we could just have a conversation with our son who's about to turn seven. For years, we've been praying that our son could simply have a friend. For years, we've been praying that our, our son would be redeemed and restored, and when he's frustrated, he could have release, that he wouldn't physically harm himself. But the Lord hasn't answered that prayer in our lives. And we're like, God, what are you doing? And so many people have tried to encourage us in ways that aren't encouraging, to be honest. Well, you know why your son's dealing with special needs? It's because God wants to make you a better minister. I was like, screw that. I'll give up the church in a second for my son to be able to speak with me. I love the church, but I love my son more. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I do. And so if God's just using this to make me a better ministry, you know, partner, I give up on the ministry. And that's my reality. God, God's doing this to just teach you obedience, and I believe that. But God, isn't there another way of teaching me this lesson that's not at the expense of my son? Like, really, God? And, and like, you know, God, God's, you know, he, he, he saves his special uh, problems for special warriors. I'm like, come on, I don't. There's two footprints in the sand. And then there was one. The Lord is carrying you. I'm like, no. I'm going to slap you. <laughs> Stop saying that. It's like those cliches just don't work. And so I, I'm going to do my best to bring comfort for those of us who are probably a little hostile towards comfort. 
I've yelled at people who have tried to comfort me with bad theology or good theology. I'm going to be honest, but I, I, I am a pastor. <laughs> and I, I do want to help you when you're in these dark moments and you're in these painful moments when you're waiting in God. And so I, I just want to humbly this morning, if you're in this moment, I want to share three things that have sometimes encouraged me <laughs> while I'm waiting on God. Just sometimes. <laughs> Would that be helpful for you? <laughs> These are three things that have sometimes encouraged me. They don't always encourage me. And so the first thing I want to share is this. Things were just getting started when Jesus said it is finished on the cross. The kingdom is here, but we're also still praying for the kingdom to come. And so on the cross, Jesus, you remember that? He says, it is finished right? He's down on the cross. He's saying, oh, wow. And he breathed out his last. He's redeemed the world. He saved us from sin. He's put an end to death and violence. It is finished. But when I look at the world around me, things don't look very finished. I see a lot of tragedy and poverty and heartache and injustice. I'm like, God, what is going on? And so, I, I mean, just to explain it, when Jesus died on the cross for the sake of our sins, uh, he absorbed sin upon himself, right? He defeated sin. Well, how many of you guys in this room still sin? So Jesus, Jesus defeated sin, but you still sin. So was it defeated, actually? All right, all right. By his stripes, he, he's whipped and all this. By his stripes, we are healed. So Jesus absorbed all sickness and conquered death on the cross. He died on the cross, but then he rose from the grave, overcoming death once and for all. Hallelujah, glory. But do people still die? Not a trick question. Yes. So Jesus defeated death, but do people still die? Yes. So what's going on here? Well, I want to introduce a theological term that has brought me comfort in the inconsistencies of this world. And it's because we live in a unique time called the already but not yet. Let me read a quote by a pastor named Tim Keller that explains this. God's kingdom is present in its beginnings, but future in its fullness. This guards us from an underrealized eschatology. Eschatology is a fancy theological word that means kind of like your belief on the end times, the end of it all. So this guards us from an underrealized eschatology, expecting no change now. God, God's like only going to help us in the future. When Jesus comes back, that's when things are going to be good. So an underrealized eschatology, expecting no change now. And an overrealized eschatology, expecting all will change now. Jesus died on the cross, so everything's supposed to be happy and cheery immediately. In this stage, we embrace the reality that while we're not yet what we will be, we're also no longer what we used to be. And so we're living in this time in a broken world of inconsistency where we've experienced some people get healed. We've experienced some miracles, but not the fullness of all the miracles that will ever happen. I love this illustration for explaining the already, but not yet. Uh, in 2012, Amritha and I were in a Kansas wheat field and we got married. And Amritha was in her wedding dress and she looked great. Amen. You didn't see her, but you should have said amen faster. <laughs> and so we're at this wedding, and we say these vows. And I, the pastor says, Pastor Garth, who preached last week, he says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. So at that point, we're married, right? Amen? amen. Right. We're married, 
The wedding has been fulfilled. The promises, the vows from the engagement season has been fulfilled, but it had not been consummated. Glory to God. So we're married, but were we operating in the fullness of marriage? My God, we were not. And so we drove away from the Kansas Wheatfield wedding on a tractor. And that was a long tractor ride. <laughs> that was a long tractor ride. But then when we got off the tractor and we approached the castle and I carried her through the threshold, my goodness, we consummated the marriage. So we lived in a period, though, before marital night sex, where the wedding was fulfilled but not consummated. Are you tracking with me? And that is the period that we're living in right now. We've experienced one glory, but there is a greater glory yet to experience. When you order something on Amazon, you pay for it, and if someone says, do you own that jean jacket you bought on Amazon? You say, yeah, I paid for it. I own it. But then they say, do you have it? No, it hasn't been delivered. It's been purchased, but not delivered. It's an already, but not yet in between moment. And that's what we're living in right now. And so that helps me understand uh, some of the inconsistencies that we're dealing with. And sometimes that encourages me. 1 John 3 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. For those of us who experience healing in our body, but we need more healing with our body, that is an encouraging message. Romans 8 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's a future glory for all of us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning like I was groaning before my wedding night, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, so we've experienced some things of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so with this promise in mind, I'm comforted by the fact that I believe that in eternity, there will come a day where I would have spent more time talking to Obi than not talking to my son, Obi. Amen. Second thing that kind of comforts me sometimes is your trust in God brings him great pleasure, especially since faith is only possible on this side of eternity. And so faith is something that we can only have right now. In eternity, when every tear is wiped away, there's no reason to have faith. It's all going to be good all the time. It's just going to be as is. But right now, on this moment, we can have a faith that pleases God. You know, in my kitchen, we have a kitchen island. And sometimes while I'm making something, my, my two kids will jump off the counter with no warning at me and just assume I'm going to catch them. And usually I do. 
<laughs> but I love that. Like, just they believe that I'm there, that I'm a present father, and they believe that I'm a good father who's not going to let them fall for the most part. And so uh, that, I believe, is just a great illustration of how faith brings pleasure to our heavenly father. You know, throughout the scriptures, Jesus marvels at faith. In fact, in Luke 7, it says, this man was looking for healing, and Jesus approaches him to go to his house, but he says, you don't have to come to my house. He says, but say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Your faith can make Jesus marvel. It brings them great pleasure. And I believe that your faith is beautiful. Many of us are in a dark moment. We're waiting on God, but yet you're in church on Sunday morning. You know, I just want to say like Jennings, you've shared publicly about your desire to get pregnant. But I've seen that pain, those prayers of anguish and lament, but yet here you are worshiping. Here you are serving the house of God. And I just want to say, your faith is beautiful. Your faith is an inspiration that you can trust God even when you don't understand God. And I just want to say, trust most of the time isn't possible in an environment of guarantees. Trust isn't possible if there isn't some mystery. I just want to say thank you for your faith. And I believe that it brings great pleasure to the heart of the Father. It's beautiful. Amen. I mean, there's so many stories of people in this room who have stood trusting God. And I love this quote by a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Stan. I think we have like four small groups going through this, which is awesome. But this quote is this, wrestling with God through persistent prayer is a confirmation of true belief not distressing doubt. Those who only half-heartedly believe don't take offense at silence. And so for those of us who have been offended by the silence of God, to me that relieves, you really believe in God. You really believe God is possible of performing miracles in your life. And here's the reality of our faith bringing pleasure to God. Our faith isn't a formula. Our faith isn't in the idea of faith, but in God who is a good God. Faith simply means that God is believing that God is a good God. Hebrews 11 says, it is impossible to please God without faith because the one who draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards people who try to find him. Do you believe that today? Are you trusting that even in the dark moments of your life? I mean, in fact, in Hebrews 11, which is called the Hebrews Hall of Faith, it's like a hall of fame for people who stood in faith I read this, and I'm honestly not super encouraged by some of the way it ends. Let's read in verse 36 from Hebrews 11. But others experienced public shame by being taunted and whipped. They were even put in chains and in prison. They were stoned to death. They were cut in two, and they died by being murdered with swords. Wow, why well, I want to have faith too. They went around wearing the skins of sheep, kind of into that, and goats, needy, <laughs> oppressed and mistreated, the world didn't deserve them. 
They wandered around in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. And this is how the scripture celebrates their faith. These people who trusted God when things didn't make sense. This is how it ends. All these people didn't receive what was promised, though they were given approval for their faith. They were not given what God promised in their lifetime. And that is celebrated in the scripture. And that encourages me sometimes. Because I want my prayers answered now. Amen? God, I want my prayers answered now. But then in the scriptures, like, look at all these people who believed I would fulfill their promises, but I never did. <laughs> I like that. I'm like, why? <laughs> why, God? But that's faith. Believing that somehow, that even after we die, God can redeem all the loss, all the longing, all the tragedy, even after death. I trust that God is a good God. And here's the crazy thing about faith. Yeah, it can be discouraging that sometimes prayer works. But here's the encouraging thing. Sometimes prayer works. Now. I mean, we're seeing miracles even here at Kalos Church. Todd he just shared this story online where there was this huge growth on his body that he had in his life for six years. And then he came up for prayer here at Kalos like a month and a half ago or something like that. And within the next week, it completely disappeared. Sometimes prayer works. Sometimes prayer works, and I know that can be discouraging, but when you see what God is doing around us in this inconsistent time, man, it makes my faith rise. Because it says, wow, God, I know you're a good God, and so I'm going to continually place my trust in you, and I'll leave the timing up to you. I can trust you. I can trust you. I remember I had a mentor who said, hey, if you pray for a thousand people and nobody gets healed, can you trust God to pray for the next thousand people? Because sometimes heaven breaks through the earth and the impossible becomes possible. So that sometimes encourages me. Third thing that sometimes encourages me, and the band, you guys can come up, is this. One day, Jesus will wipe away every tear. How many of you believe that? That, that Jesus will come back. He will bring perfect justice. He'll bring perfect healing and redemption. And that, that is a future day. And one day, Jesus will wipe away every tear. But right now, he's collecting them. Not only does Jesus hear your prayers, he's holding them and interceding for you. And I need you to understand this, the heart of the Father. His silence is not absence. In your life, his silence is not absence. Psalm 56 says this, you keep track of all my sorrows. This is a prayer to God. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Your, tear, your tears have not been forgotten by God. Revelation 5, this is talking about the end of the age. Talking about the prayers of the saints. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. God is holding all of your prayers. They're not just bouncing off the ceiling. You're not alone in your prayer life. 
God's collecting your tears and holding your prayers. And another encouragement I found in this is this. You're not alone in your pain, Why? Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. I know a lot of us feel like we're waiting for God to answer prayers, but just like we started this message off with in John 17, Jesus praying that we would be unified as a church. He's also praying for you and your pain and your distress is not you against Jesus. He's joining you in your battle. He's joining you in your anguish. He's joining you in your deepest pains. In Romans 8, it says, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Jesus is pleading on our behalf. He's taking our case to the Father. He's making intercession for us. And then I love this. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And I know that in our, our moments of pain, we're like, where are you, God? It's so easy to get separated from God. But he's interceding for us. He's saying, I don't want your distress to separate you from my presence and my love. Please don't, don't isolate yourself from me because you don't understand what, I, uh, what I'm doing. Because even in your despair, even in your famine and nakedness, I don't want us to be separated. I don't want you to be separated from my love when you need it the most. In fact, when it's hardest to pray, that's why I believe God wants us to pray hardest. And he says in verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we were killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so with that in mind today, Kalos, I just want to ask you, when you don't understand what's going on, will you choose to trust God? When you are having a hard time believing God, will you say, God, help me in my unbelief? And I, I know it's so difficult. And I, I want to open up a moment for us to receive prayer, receiving the prayer that even Jesus is praying on our behalf, interceding for us right now, contending for us, standing in the gap on our behalf. And uh, I, I know that these statements that I share can feel like cliches. And I, I know it might not bring any comfort. And so what I want to do is just impart comfort through the Spirit of God. I'm not your answer, but I believe that God is. And so I want to invite us all into the presence of God. I remember about three years ago, I went to a pastor's conference when I was in the height of my depression and pain and anguish when it came to my children. I was in the, the new shock of dealing with all that requires of special needs parents. And I went up to the, this pastor and uh, I said, can I have dinner with you? And it was supposed to be like a happy time with prayers. There's this Pastor Aaron Stern and this Pastor Glenn Packiam. And I was like, it felt cool. Wow, I can have dinner and their jokes and laughing. But I was like, I trust these guys' theology. And so I pulled out my journal and I asked them the most hardcore theological questions about theodicy, basically how does God allow this pain and injustice and all the things I was wrestling with. I was like, why won't God let me do for my son what he did for his children? It's not fair. Why won't God answer my prayers? All of these kind of things. 
And they just said, Pradeepin, we don't really know all the answers for you. We don't actually have the theological cliches you're looking for. But what we can do right now is pray together. We can invite the Spirit of God to do what only He can do. We're going to make room for the Spirit of God to enter and be your comfort, be your presence, be your life, be your healing. And I know the times when we want to separate from God the most because we're angry, honestly, that's the time when we need to invite him in the most. And so we just prayed, and honestly, I wept and wept. I was embarrassed. It was awkward. But I did feel an impartation of comfort, maybe just a tiny seed of faith. And I've just been trying to nurture that. It's so small, but it's there. It's there. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.